0: The bridge, be the bridge. You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. What are
1: you doing today? It's exciting.
0: Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But
1: I'm going to do it in the spirit of love.
0: We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end
1: okay listen now uh be the bridge community i am so excited um to have i feel like i can call my friend it's like you know i don't know um people that you know online or if you've had a few conversations with or if you exchanged a few texts with you feel like you know them but i feel like it's also kindred spirits um and just um other female leaders. And, um, I have Miss Lisa Fields, who is here, who is leading, um, an organization called Ju three project. I've had my eyes on her for a while. Um, I think we probably started, uh, Lisa, did we start around the same time leading out? What year I think did you so. form? Yeah. What, we what started in 2014. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And so that's about the same time that I was starting be the bridge and, um, um, you know we we got our 501c3 in like two twenty fifteen twenty sixteen. 2015 2016 and um, so around the same time of growth. And so we could share some stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think um, our friend BJ Thompson and Jamar Tisby kind of introduced us. We were in um, a
2: conversation. I forget what we were in the conversation for. I think it was for like raising money for yeah. nonprofits. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And before that, we had met because we did the singles podcast on oh, yes. Truth yes. Table. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, we did that together. Oh, ooh, we could have a whole podcast around what? that. Right? <laughs> but let me tell you this. Um, she is one of the world's most sought after um, Christian apologists. She combines her passion for her biblical literacy with her heart for sharing God's love. And um, during her college at the University of North Florida, and I think this is important. I know sometimes we read bios, but I think her, your leading point into forming Jude 13 is really important to your story and what you're doing now. And um, you took a new Testament course that shifted your life. Um, You were a pastor's kid. You were familiar with the church um, and and Christian faith and the importance of reading the Bible. She was also planning a career as a stockbroker in in New York City. Sounds like me and my beginnings of trying to be a dentist. Um, (laughs) On the first day of her New Testament class, the professor declared, I am going to change everything you thought you knew about Jesus. Throughout the course, her professor focused on biblical contradictions and um, um, textual criticism and every sense of the matter, um, your faith was challenged and it forced you to kind of rethink what you believed and decide um, about keeping your faith or abandoning your faith. And after college, you continued to wrestle with biblical concepts. Um, Her faith while working in the financial services industry. Each day she wrestled with God's call for her life to further her education, to better defend the faith. She pursued her Masters of Divinity um, from Liberty University, um, something we have in common. And um, you see, you still have it on your bio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you what I did with Bob, but, <laughs> no, but no, that's good because God, listen, God has a sense of humor, and the redemption <laughs> really of that is, is, you know, her time in seminary prepared her into her calling as an apologist. Um, and doing your last year of seminary, um, your passion to teach others how to defend their faith was clear. It was then that the Jew 3 Project was birthed. And the founder and president, Lisa's uh, primary mission for the Jew 3 Project is to help the Black Christian community know what they believe and why they believe it. And I want to start with that. Um, I understand your your why, but I want you to explain it a little bit more to um, especially the um, our white brothers and sisters that are listening to this podcast now. Um, why is the primary focus um, to help the Black Christian community know what they believe and why they believe it? Because I don't think they may even understand um, what is broken in that and why that's such a need. And for um, an African-American person hearing that, I'm like, this is so needed. Mm -hmm. This is so needed um, in such a time as this. And so can you explain that to the community for me?
2: Yeah. um, Thank you for this opportunity. I'm excited to be here. Um, So when I was first introduced to apologetics, it was Mm -hmm. me trying to navigate that class. I was in the New Testament Mm -hmm. class. My father introduced it to me and I fell in love with it. But everybody that I saw outside of um, Ravi was white a white old man you know um leading it and i felt like while they were helpful in navigating that course there were still some significant gaps um for things for the questions in the black community and even some of the questions are similar but the approach to answering them uh, are different and so i was like in addition to that we need to see ourselves leading in this space Mm to know that it's a possible for us. Mm. And so those were the reasons that I thought it was important to focus on the African-American community, to answer the questions that our community is asking to approach it the way our community would be able to receive it. Mm. And also for people to see themselves as apologists, mm. like, you didn't see many women in the space and you didn't see black women at all. Mm -hmm. And so now that people see me as a black woman leading it, they think, oh man, this is something I can aspire to. Mm. This is something I could be. This is a field that's for me as well.
1: Yeah. So you didn't um, let it take you out, but you saw a problem and God has led you to create a solution and to speak into that. And to change lives because of your faithfulness and because of your yes, and um, I'm just grateful to be breathing at the same time that you're breathing. Because <laughs> I, you know, I don't even feel like you know how you always say you're just scratching the surface. You know, um, um, there's there's so much I feel that God is going to do, and uh, a lot of this started from a podcast. You you, you know, a part of you three. Um, you do like this series of podcasts and videos, and um, going through Christian history. Can you explain that um, to us? Like some of the um, the podcasts you, uh, that you've done, and um, and some of the topics. I know like you do a lot with um, hermeneutics and and all of that. So, kind of explain that.
2: Yeah. So um, when we started the Whole You Through project, it started off as an event events to train pastors. Mm-hmm. So we did that a couple times but it was localized and I was like, if I wanted to reach the nations, Mm. I need to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so, but I wanted our podcast to be unique. Mm. I wanted our podcast to be inclusive Mm -hmm. because I felt like if I was called to the whole black church, the Mm. black church isn't a monolith. Right? There's AME, there's, (laughs) P-A-W, there's yeah. Church of God in Christ, there's yeah. National Baptist Convention of USA, National Baptist Convention. A missionary of Baptist now. Missionary. <laughs> <laughs> Full gospel, primitive, yeah. CME. Yes. And I didn't want us to be in a bubble where mm. we just got the black people that are popular in one space. Mm. And so... I started researching who had influence in all of those spaces. And I wanted to interview the people with influence in all the different denominations, not just black, but white Uh. um, as well. And so we covered topics in a very broad way. And mm-hmm. so that sometimes gets us in trouble because people are like,
1: oh, <laughs> I can I imagine, <laughs> I can
2: imagine the heat that you get. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not called to a tribe. Mm. And so, because I'm not called to one tribe, I understand that I have mm-hmm. to transcend, Yeah. transcend the tribalism.
1: Yes. And so, so good. Cause that you just gave me language for what I feel like would be the bridge because people will try to put you in a box. Mm-hmm. and you know and i think transcending the tribalism i love mm-hmm. it girl that's a t-shirt right there
2: <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's Good it um and so we've covered early african christianity um like you said, hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. And I believe in a humble hermeneutic Mm. and understanding that we all see through the glass Uh dimly. And everybody has a piece to add. And that's, Mm. you know, that's why bringing different voices to an apologetic table is helpful because when you see apologetics dominated by all white men, they miss things Uh because of just their cultural privilege and how Uh they see the world and who they interact with. But then when you bring a black woman to apologetics, she's seen things differently. Yes. And so you have to take your hermeneutic Uh and and say, you know what? Be humble enough to say, I miss this in the text Uh because the... The way I've been conditioned and the way I do life in my culture, I just certain things don't stand out to me, and yeah. so mm-hmm. um, that. And then we do courageous conversations, which is one of our biggest things we have,
3: mm-hmm.
2: where I bring the leading black scholars, thought leaders, and pastors from all different uh, backgrounds on conserv- on the conservative and progressive side to talk mm-hmm. about a plethora of topics, which mm-hmm. has got me in trouble as well. Um, <laughs> <I> can you imagine? <laughs> Good trouble. Good trouble. Good trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
1: And I like the way for those who are listening, because I know, you know, everybody's not a biblical scholar. I'm not a biblical scholar, you know, but even in using words like, um, you know, I'm I'm in seminary now um, also, but like just even with the word harmony, like everybody doesn't know that and what it mm-hmm. means. Can you explain, you know, what, what what it means to contend to faith, you know?
2: yeah so hermeneutics is the art of interpreting god's word mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is it is an art um mm-hmm. to it uh yeah. because it's not we don't see it in the original language right uh hebrew and greek and aramaic so yeah. we have some work to do sometimes to get to the meaning of the text mm-hmm. um as it relates to apologetics and mm-hmm. continue for the faith apologetics comes from the greek word apologia and I always have to say that because for, for as long as my grandmother thought, I said I'm sorry for Jesus for a living and so I don't want to assume that people, right. people know what I mean um, right. but it comes from First Peter 3.15 when Peter says we ought to be able to give a defense and that word defense in the Greek means apologia um, give a defense for the hope that we have but I also always include with gentleness and respect mm. so if you're giving a defense for the faith and you're not Doing it with gentleness and respect, yes. you're not doing biblical apologetics. You're doing right. something
1: else. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like here you t- you say we practice harmonious to know and worship God by bringing our lives into harmony with His character and His will. Um, and and then you say once the Word of God has hold of us, we are in a better position to interact with the world around us. And I mean, it's th- I mean, taking this class at seminary just really really gives you a broader sense of the word of God, understanding um, all the different parts and Mm -hmm. how to look at the Greek and how to look at the Hebrew and all those languages. So I know it's been a helpful, you know, um, I don't want to call it a tool, but a process for me, you know, Mm -hmm. because it is something you bring into your lifestyle because we take the, the lens that we look through the world, is the same lens that we see the Bible, and so the same, um, you know, glass ceilings that we have is the same ones we're bringing to our framework of, of the Bible. So that is great. You, um, you did some things like I think one of the um, um, one of the conversations I want to hear about. You just released a documentary called Unspoken. I want you to tell me about how that came to be, uh, because this story is incredible, and um, share a little bit about some of the uh, components that are in this movie and why uh, they're included in in the movie.
2: Yeah, so around 2017, Mm -hmm. um, a fan of Jude 3, his name is Chris Lamarck, um, reached out to me, randomly a cold email, Uh and said, Hey, I'm a fan of Jude 3. I'm also a filmmaker, and I want to do a film on early African Christianity to dispel the myth that Christianity is white men's religion, based on the scholars. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be a collaboration with you. Mm-hmm. Is that great. That's a great idea. I don't have any money for that. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> My, as I you know. You.
3: Woo.
1: I know, I know. <laughs> There's so much we want to do and, and say, but money is a hindrance. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: I always say money,
2: money, answer of all things. So yes, yes, <laughs> gives you opportunity. Yes, yeah, yeah,
3: good.
2: Um, and so, um, I he was like, "Well, I'll do it for free." I was like, that's great. I still don't have money for it because it's not just you filming it. it's Right. It's flying people out. It's so many. When you're an organizational leader, you know, mm-hmm. it's more than just one dynamic to cost. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, I was Look, like. He oh. was willing to do whatever it took. Like, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind of put him on the back burner. Fast forward a year later, I get a random Facebook message from a, a Adam Coleman, who's an apologist, And he says, hey, there's an NFL player who wants to do a documentary and his wife has set some money aside. um, But he doesn't know the scholars and he doesn't. um, He just doesn't have uh, a filmmaker. But when you meet with him, he had just got traded from the Detroit Lions back to the Jaguars because he started his career with the Jaguars, was with the Jaguars for, I think, two years, was with the Lions for, uh, for eight. Came back to the Jaguars, end up tearing his hamstring, but he was only here for 10 days. And in one of those 10 days, uh, I was in Jacksonville because I live in Jacksonville. And I, I was home because, you know, traveling. Uh-huh. And so I met him and his wife at a Mediterranean restaurant. And they talked about their vision uh-huh. um, and the, the money they had set aside. I told him a filmmaker had reached out to me a year ago with the same idea. Mm. We left, like, I think we're going to work together. And I was yeah. like, let me introduce you to the filmmaker because, you know, this. you're about to invest. So I want to make sure you know him and are comfortable with uh-huh. his work. I connected them. Um, then we decided we're going to do the film. And four yeah. years later, Unspoken is released. Now, we thought that it was going to take a year and a half, two years. It took four. Um, but in God's providential plan, yeah. COVID, you know, delayed yeah. some things. Yeah, but we're here now, and it was released on Juneteenth. Yeah, and let me tell you, I've had a
1: chance to look at this documentary. First of all, I love when people just do things with excellence. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. like th- sometimes there's this, this expectation that because of resources and all these things that you know we're not going to do things with excellence. You know, mm-hmm. and just knowing that you like be the bridge. You know, started out probably with not like investment funds. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Started at zero. At zero. Like just like from the <laughs> bottom, yes. Same thing, zero. And um to look at what God has done. And when I was looking at this um video, I'm looking at the cine- cinema photography. Like he is excellent at what he does. And um just the cutouts so like all of it the The way he filmed it's just beautiful. And so that adds to the messaging. um, That's important. That adds to the messaging. It's actually better than some of the documentaries that I've seen um, on Netflix or um, Prime Video, all those different things. And it's just so needed for our community. So those of you who are listening, if you have not heard about it, um, unspokenmovie.com, you can download it and watch it share it there's also bonus um um uh, supplements with it like i think there's a curriculum that goes with it you know Mm -hmm. Um, so i think it would be even a great thing for small groups mm -hmm. bible studies organizations and this is not just for uh you know black and brown people like this is something where we need to see where things have gone off the rail you know um, in some of these conversations, because there are still seminaries and churches teaching about the curse of Ham, like you know, um, and I know the the documentary addresses that, you know, it, it you know it addresses like you know um, uh, just just some of the founding church fathers who were m- men of color, you know, it addresses that. Um, it addresses some of the cultural issues within. Um, and faith issues within our community is dealing with some, um, nation of Islam and all the, all the things, um, it addresses that. I mean, it gets down <laughs> into it. And why, why did you pick the subjects that you, you, you chose like the topics?
2: So it was really just what we, what we deal with on the ground. Yeah. So in yep. a, one of the things we do with JU 3 is we do an HBCU tour. Okay. And um, we go to different HBCUs and host a forum called It's Christianity, White Man's Religion. And you hear Mm -hmm. students. The first part of our event is called Talk Back, where we allow students to talk back for two minutes. They get the mic and tell us Mm -hmm. what they they think is wrong with Christianity, why they think it's white man's religion. Mm -hmm. And you hear kids that grew up in church. Yeah. I don't want this faith. This yeah. white man's religion. Uh-huh. We need to be in Kemeticism, African spirituality, uh-huh. Hebrew Israelism. This is where I find identity. This is for me. This is a white man's religion, uh-huh. and so you hear that over and over. And really, they're really just trying to find trying to find a faith that affirms their humanity,
3: uh-huh.
2: and. um we just wanted to address the pain points that we hear on the ground. Mm. And so that's why all of these topics were chosen because we knew students in real time, this is not some like pie in the sky or right. you know we're pulling that straws. These are mm. actually s- students that we interact with. So like, as the ending part of the documentary, you see clips from our Benedict tour,
3: mm.
2: where we went to Benedict College in South Carolina. Okay. And you hear the students uh-huh. Saying, you know, I grew up in church, but this is a white man's religion. Yeah. And so you get to see, like, these are issues that college students are wrestling with.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And it hits personally for our executive producer who was in the NFL that his first year of college at Norfolk State uh-huh. in his African-American studies class, uh-huh. his professor was saying all of these things about Christianity being a white man's religion. And he uh-huh. left the faith because of it. And he uh-huh. ended up coming to the faith back to the faith years ago, but these are Mm -hmm. real things that pull at the Mm -hmm. heartstrings.
1: Man, and um, it's for those of you who are listening, when she said the tour that she does at HBCUs, uh, that I, I don't take for granted that people know anything, but it's historically black colleges, and historically black colleges exist because there were there was segregation. We were not allowed to go to white universities, so that's why we have historically black co- colleges. That is why we have um domin- denominations that are um are particularly uh, you know black denominations like the A.M.E. Um, and it wasn't that these people wanted to be segregated is that they were not allowed to um, go to church and worship freely uh, with their God-given dignity or um, have an education, um, you know, just like everyone else. And so that, that's, that is why these things exist. And they still have a place today um, because we experience um, a lot of oppression and some of um, the, um, you know, um, uh, PWI. Um, institutions, um, um, you know, and then also what we're experiencing now in church. And and I want to talk about that, like right now uh, we see people, especially black people who are integrated into uh, multi-ethnic churches or um, um, predominantly white churches, because our desire has always been to be the full family of God, to see us as your equal, to see our dignity. And so a lot of that we have been, um, you know, bridge builders in those spaces in that sense, you know, or just not even have been in the space to 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 try and um, bring proximity or understanding or to help uh, a lot of times without power um, and what has happened within the last few years, it's we've seen some of the ugliness of really saying that you're not welcome here, or the fullness of who you are is not recognized here, or we want you here as a, as a picture, but not as a, as a voice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are seeing people that are painful. I have friends now that have left um, um, the church, but not their faith in that sense. Um, and you do have a lot of, some of their kids are really, um, saying the same thing, what you 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 hear kids saying in college that because of what they've experienced in youth group and, and, and some of these spaces or either in, um, in neighborhoods and communities and what is happening in our culture, they are like really, um, dismayed with, um, with this faith and they see it and even how we visualize it uh, when they say a white man's religion. What what do people mean when they say that Christianity is a white man's religion?
2: I think they're talking about when people say Christianity is a white man's religion, I think they're talking about a heretical brand of Christianity Mm. that is so tethered to the U.S. Mm. that it almost... It tries to mask itself As orthodox Christianity Uh. And I think We're uncomfortable with Calling the brand of Christianity That many white evangelicals hold Heresy Uh. And And What we're trying to do with the Jew 3 project is point to what Biblical Christianity is Uh. And when I get exposed To truth I realize the lies I was under Mm. And so, you know, I always think about how people detect fraudulent, how they train you in the Department of Treasury to detect fraudulent money. Mm. And they don't do it by giving you frauds. They they do it by training you on authentic um, U.S. dollars. And you spend so much time with the real dollar that after you spent time smelling it, holding it, touching it, feeling it, they throw in a counterfeit. And the idea is because you spent so much time with the authentic that you can you can see the counterfeit immediately. On the flip side, though, many people have been born into counterfeit. And so when they see truth, it looks foreign. And so that's why they reject the. Um, the aspect of biblical justice because it looks foreign because they have so much connection to the
1: counterfeit. Girl, we could wrap the podcast up with that right there, that statement. Like that is just such a great analogy of the training is not to know the counterfeit, but to know the truth. But when you've been born into what you would say lies or untruth, you don't even know how to recognize truth and truth seems wrong, seems wrong. And even if
3: you're,
1: you're reading, we're reading the same thing, but the lens that is filtered through is still filtered through a lens without context or a lens that, um, doesn't, um, expose the truth. You know, that is really powerful. I think, um, when you, and I know this is something that a lot of us, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, excavating or deconstructing our our, our faith, um, I think there's a, um, a biblical way to, to do that where we're not, um, you know, excavating Jesus out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, um, but I do see what's happening, you know, where there's a longing and a rejection where people um, are not feeling seen or loved or or known and we're so detached. Like even how I think about what's happening like naturally as far as like African-American history, we're trying to separate that from history and then trying to punish people for anything that we say to bring up our history that brings you, that makes you feel bad or calling for um, repair is um, naming it as, something wrong or, or, or evil, it's, it's similar to the same thing, you know, within um, biblical history uh, where it does, it does matter. And I know one of these things is even the visual. And when um, I think some of my excavating like early on in the early 2000s had to be when I visualize Jesus, like if I'm visualizing Jesus, like what am I visualizing? And the thing would be, I'm visualizing images that I've seen in, um, you know, in, um, Sunday school books, pictures, media. I mean, just, and that is of a white Jesus. And I had to train myself to see something different. Um, because Jesus was not European. And that's, I know that's one of the things, what have you seen as it relates to, to that? Because like, I remember going to this justice conference yeah. <laughs> and there was a, uh, at a justice conference. So these are people that, you know, no one understand and have done some work in this. And I remember um, this like really popular um, pastor um, was, was just talking about just the, the awesomeness of God and um, they were putting these visuals up there which probably worked in like um, certain settings but I remember (laughs) seeing like all these pictures they were showing was of a white European Jesus with blonde hair you know blue eyes and I remember gasping like (laughs) he probably and that's what he learned in seminary I'm pretty sure and, um, but it's problematic, um, because there's, um, white supremacy attached to that, but people don't understand. It's like, it doesn't matter. Well, if it doesn't matter, then, then make sure that you're speaking the truth if it doesn't <laughs> matter, you know? Uh, but what, what are some of your thoughts around, around that, the imagery, um, of Jesus, you know?
2: Yeah. So it's funny because at one of the things we do going back to our HBCU tour mm-hmm. is we show video clips in conjunction with our presentation. So we okay. show viral video clips. And one of the clips we show is from Muhammad Ali talking okay. about oh, white yeah. Jesus. Uh-huh. And you can see that he's asking the man, are we going to be servants when we get to heaven? <laughs> because the angels are white. Jesus is white. <laughs> And so you see, start to see the psychological ramifications Mm. that having an image of white Jesus has. Mm. I remember talking to a a student at FAMU um, and he was talking to me about faith and he was struggling with Christianity. Mm. And he said, you know, for me, it's difficult because Adam and Eve were white. So that makes me feel like my skin color is because of the fall. Mm. And I was like, "Wow." Mm. wow. Because of the images that he had seen of Adam and Eve being white, he logically concluded from that, that black people are a part of sin. Yeah. And it just showed me even deeper the impact. Mm-hmm. And he was a sophomore at the time. He's graduated now, mm-hmm. but the psychological impact of him internalizing these things of seeing Bible characters that wa- that white that made him dehumanize himself.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, I think many people don't realize the psychological impacts because you couple you couple white Jesus with supremacy, mm-hmm. and you and you make it seem like everything that's white is pure. And everything yeah. that's black is evil. Uh, I love the way a slave says. Uh, Emory Emerson Powery, a New Testament professor at Messiah College, was on the podcast, and he recounts that there was a slave narrative when the slave was trying to te- the slave master was trying to tell the slave that you're cursed because you're black. The slave that had read his Bible said, "In my Bible, when God punished Miriam, he turned her skin white."
3: Mm, Hmm. <laughs>
2: And so he was trying to say that you can't tell me. He wasn't trying to say whiteness was cursed, but what mm. he was trying to s- show is that you can't manipulate the text to try to manipulate me. Mm. Mm. And so I just think we need to really, really evaluate the ways in which our decisions and how we depict Jesus impacts others. How we depict Jesus impacts how Jesus impacts how, depicts, how Jesus impacts. Depicts, how Jesus impacts
1: if you've been enjoying and learning from the Be The Bridge podcast, we invite you to join us in this work. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurring partner at bethebridge.com forward slash give. You can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel. So if you haven't gotten your Be The Bridge hat, sweatshirt, all of the things, let's take the message to the street. Visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that Be The Bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our posts. Those of you who are giving to this work um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, so join us at be the bridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much some of my friends they're kids who have grown up in multi-ethnic churches or um that were more about assimilation um you know youth group you know neighborhoods schools um you know i just i one of my friends um kids was just Telling me, I was just talking to him, and he was. We were talking about college, and I and he was saying, "Well, I think I'm, you know, gonna go." He's real smart, young man. He was talking about going to uh, HBCU, and I said, "Oh, that's good. Your both of your parents went to HBCUs," and, um, and he said, "Yeah," and and just the school system that he's in is, is 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 very white. And he looked at the wall, and the the wall was white. He said, "Because this is crushing me." and you know he's like i i i i'm tired of this right here you know and and i and you know and i and i think about his parents made a decision um to leave a predominantly white church and um go into a church that was more 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 multi-ethnic and multicultural but the more multi-ethnic and more multicultural the church became you begin to have white flight out of the church you know which is common because um, when we start showing up a little bit more, um, even our white brothers and Christian white brothers and sisters get uncomfortable when, um, when they're not the majority in, in, the, in those spaces and you have white flights. So that church that was very multi-ethnic and multicultural um, now is more predominantly um, um, African-American. I, I seen that at the Kurt Franklin Kingdom <laughs> Kingdom Tour with Maverick City you know, Maverick city reaches like a really diverse, um, crowd, multi-ethnic, um, crowd and Kirk, you know, like that's, that's like, I grew up on Kirk Gen, Gen, Gen mm-hmm. X, like, you know, that I'm telling you that is, he is, his music is, uh, one of the things, the early things that kept me, um, as a young Christian, but mm-hmm. his style of worship is different. You know, we understand it but a lot of people don't understand it. So in that diverse crowd, I was seeing like when he was up, you know, worshiping doing stuff, people would sit down and you know, like we don't we we don't really know how to kind of like uh, be inclusive and mm. making sure everybody, we, I think we know how to do, we have to know how to survive and thrive in these different environments. Cause we've had to survive and thrive and, you know, and the, pa- our palette, I think is just really more diverse as it relates to, um, music, uh, all these things, because we've had to do that. Um, uh, but I've seen it and, you know, and I'm, I'm hearing these conversations, you know, just from some of the, um, young adults and, um, Gen Zers and the other one after them, I forget who they are. The group Alpha, (laughs) yeah, yeah, Gen Alpha. You know, all of that. And these are some real conversations. So I'm glad that you are speaking into that, and I'm grateful for these tours that you guys are having. And what are some of the other things that comes up? You know, and some of the conversations that you're having.
2: Yeah. So, like you mentioned, deconstruction is a big thing, Uh and one of the things the the things that I kind of try to help people navigate through in deconstruction is to be weary of overcorrecting.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm.
2: And so um, I would say it's like, if you saw your parents driving in a particular direction and at the end they drove off a cliff, your overcorrection is say, I'm never going that way. I'm going to go the opposite way. Well, you don't know that the opposite way leads off a cliff that the direction your parents were going was the right way, they just missed the right turn. But yeah. overcorrection doesn't allow you to evaluate the life. It kind of, you just, it jettisoned everything. And so if okay. they if they took you to church every Sunday and there was no personal transformation in their life or it didn't make your home better, mm-hmm. you think this faith is not for me. It's not productive. It doesn't help. It's not beneficial. I need to throw it all away. Instead of investigating Mm-hmm. Your, your parents life and see where they had, may have missed a turn or got off that the whole path wasn't bad just in the ways in which they drove on the path let them down um, down the cliff mm-hmm. and so I think yeah. that's one way and also mm-hmm. guarding our hearts from bitterness when we're trying to get yeah. to truth because mm-hmm. I always say that when bitterness has control of your heart then truth gets distorted in your mind Mm. And you can't see truth when your heart is clouded by bitterness. Mm. And so before you deconstruct, I would say go to therapy. Yes. See, process those things out with the therapist. Yes. So then mm-hmm. when you do look at faith, you can see it clearly. And you, mm-hmm. won't, you won't start conflating a lot of stuff, um, which mm. leads to that overcorrection.
1: That is so good. I think we need help in that deconstruction process like you know spiritual guidance you know Mm -hmm. um, from someone that has done this work in a healthy manner um you know i think we need um i know there's some some kind of small groups or cohorts that have formed you know for some people are doing um and like you said therapy you know and i think that for me has has helped and because sometimes if you you surround yourself with everybody who's struggling with the same thing um, that asks, <laughs> but needing leadership but i think even some of your resources can help guide um people as as they do this like that was the first thing i did and um and looking at the documentary was send it to that that group of friends and say hey y'all need to watch this with your family and with your you know a lot of my friends like we're at an age now where most of the kids are in high school or either going to um to college um watch this with them you know because this will help answer some of those things that maybe you can't answer you've done a lot of the theological work that a lot of people don't have the expert in they know it's wrong no bits and pieces you know but this is something that's visual that they can listen to and watch and i think it would be helpful um in that and 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 one of the things you talk about um um i in the video he talked about like the um the ethiopian eunuch and you know um and how words in the bible to describe um um black and and dark were like places in africa africa is not mentioned but places in africa are mentioned throughout the bible you know from genesis on like those places are mentioned those people are mentioned and then talking about he was talking about the ethiopian unit like we it's like we forget and I, 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 I've even heard people, black people and white people, repeat this, saying, "Well, you know, this slavery was bad, but at least like your people or we became Christians."
2: <laughs> but and, and we I'm, were the first Gentile yes. com- convert noted in the Bible was the mm-hmm. African. Say it again. Not a white person. Say it again. <laughs> the first Gentile convert in, in noted in the Bible was African. Yeah. The Open Unit. And and. and And this was how many years before you know like other
1: religions you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying so there's 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 a there's a lot i was even reading um about this this history i was walking watching this other documentary and it was about the story of um this this british ship that had um slaves on it and um the, you know, the people were made to dance, you know, how they would try to exercise the people to kind of, so they weren't weak, um, when they brought them to shore. And so the enslaved people, they were brought them up and was doing this march that they would do. And some of they would make them take off their clothes. Cause it was just demeaning. Like if we could understand the brutality of, um, enslavement and what it meant, and then just the mindset of people who, who like executed that injustice it's just crazy Mm -hmm. but they would make them dance and this one lady refused this one woman these are documented accounts um, because slavery was about economics and there's documents connected to those economics and um she Mm -hmm. refused to remove her clothes because she thought it was humiliating and she had a cross or something that was made on her neck and she was holding on to that cross and this is what is described by a european doctor that was on that ship and she was holding on to it and because she refused to march she was oisted up by her feet and her head was drammed into the ground and because she refused because she was a christian to humiliate her faith you know her body and all of those things and so when i read that story and i'm reading and i'm like she was already a christian <laughs> she was already a, a convert already you know she was already a person of faith and it was kind of like christianity was in africa before it was in europe Mm-hmm and we forget that and and some of the thoughts that were borrowed from um african scholars biblical scholars like that is documented but m- most of that is not taught in seminaries you know um the schofield comment like in a lot of the commentaries that we look at like teach the curse of him like that's one of the things that comes up and we in our work of of uh, biblical, like racial literacy. Um, that is a question that comes up all the time in 2022. You know, it's, it's the, the curse of Ham. So Lisa, I want you to just speak to that a little bit and, uh, <laughs> you know, because I know that's something that comes up commonly and you guys mentioned this in the documentary when you were saying like all the commentaries, um, majority of the most popular commentaries are written by white men Mm -hmm.
2: yeah and that speaks to you know why I felt like it was important to start G3 project and have apologetics
3: in the
1: black
2: space Mm. because there's so much that you miss Mm. if you only are looking at the text through your cultural lens Mm. and it's so much you infer in the Mm -hmm. text Mm -hmm. because you're looking through your cultural lens when we Mm -hmm. think about like one of the things I think about is women and sexual assault in the Bible.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And when you look at a commentary, those things are really never addressed when you talk about Levite and the concubine. Mm-hmm. Because they don't see it. Because culturally, it just it's like, oh, okay, that happened. But you don't realize the impact on a woman that reads that text. Mm-hmm. She's going to read that text way differently mm-hmm. because she may have experienced assault, yeah. know somebody who experienced assault. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in the same way, when white men look at a text about race, injustice, the curse of Ham, mm-hmm. they are thinking through their cultural lens. Mm. And a lot of commentaries are written by men that were still in segregation. Yeah. Still um, written with slavery, you know, um, Jonathan mm. Edwards on slaves. Yeah. So you got to think, how am I going to justify
3: mm.
2: this part of of my life that I don't want to let God have control of Mm. I have Mm. to create a narrative that gets me out of this commandment Mm. and so you go and pull out the curse of Ham because that helps you feel okay with your dehumanization and it keeps your money good Mm. Um, how can George Whitfield justify Mm. um, owning slaves Mm. Build an orphanage mm. to balance out. I'm using this to help kids. Yeah, you know. And we build schools um, and churches and colleges with that name. Yeah. Yeah, and then you you got to think that Lisa Bowen's a New Testament mm-hmm. scholar at Princeton. Mm-hmm. She talked about on my podcast that they would give sometimes they would give slaves alternate creation stories mm. mm-hmm. to say you weren't created. Mm. Adam and Eve you were created some other way because the first way to to um feel to justify treating a person badly is the first dehumanize them
3: right
2: and so they had to make them less human that's the Constitution we're yeah three-fifths yeah
3: mm-hmm.
2: less human if you're not human I don't feel guilty mm-hmm. because God only caused me to love other humans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't have to love you if you're not if you're
1: not like me and which is the basis of the manifest dynasty um of destiny and then um, also the doctrine of the Dis- discovery you know all of those things you know um do that and that oof, i tell you and i'm just so grateful to this work of exposing the truth but like you said um People will not even recognize the truth because they've been de- dealing with a counterfeit, but we have to understand that our faith should produce fruit. It should produce flourishing. It should reduce, produce restoration for all. And when it's, when your faith is not leading to that, when your faith is leading to the oppression and marginalization of people then there's something wrong with that faith.
2: Yeah, it's a counterfeit. Yeah. And it's heretical.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and, and and if we look at Christian white nationalism, what is that leading to? And who does that uplift? And who does that marginalize? And that lets you know that that's not, God is not in that. But it's just, and it's sad because this is the thing in my heart now, like my heart weeps for people who are blinded by that you know, and it's like, that is why I'm doing the work that I'm doing, but I cannot change your mind. Like I cannot create transformation. Only God can do that. So I can create tools that, that prayerfully will help lead you to that transformation. But I can't, do that. I wish I can go in there and do it, but I can't do it. That's that's the work of the heart <laughs> that that only um the spirit of God can do. And so um I think just as God is using you to um change this conversation and really um kind of rebuild the faith in our community because like for even even after all of the, what you would say, the uh, marginalization and um, the inhumane treatment and all of that, um, you see uh, people of faith. You know, I'm always inspired by, I mean, there's so many stories I'm inspired by, but I think about Harriet Tubman, who um, was led with, you know, a... um, basically a slave Bible. And you know, and you know, you've seen the, the some of the slave Bible and what was in it and what wasn't in it. And for her to still be led by the Spirit of God to, um, to be a liberator, you know, in the name of Jesus, like she was a woman of faith. Her nickname was um, Moses. And she was wanted. And died impoverished, you know, after leading, um, military victories and all of those things. And so when I, I I look at someone like her who, it makes me feel like, um, some of the faith of the marginalized community is, I don't make me, it doesn't make me feel like I know that the faith of the marginalized community is a, a more true faith, you know? And um, because only God can do that, like, you know, what she endured, you know. So, man, this is this is incredible. I mean, I what are some of the things, you know, as you um, are journeying through this, um and leading this organization with all the pushback kickback all the things um that i know like as a, a, a african-american leading um um an, uh, or organization i know finances are a lot of times the issue but look at i'm looking at just your story of god just you know, bring in the finances. And I have stories like that and other people have stories like that. So it helps you keep your hands like this, um, to God open and prayerful. And cause you know, you, you are not doing it by yourself. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, you are dependent. Um, but what are some things that are, um, you know, encouraging you right now?
2: Um, I think I'm just encouraged by, the response particularly today of the documentary okay. and seeing, I, I've, I got a, a message I saw that was on Instagram. Mm-hmm. A woman said she she got swept up in this concept of Christianity is a white man's religion left the faith mm. came back some years later but she was in Christianity, went back to church but still was unsettled mm. because all her questions weren't answered. Mm. She said she watched the documentary, it answered all the questions she had.
3: Amen.
2: And it mm-hmm. gave her such assurance. And so mm-hmm. I remember what it was like to question in mm-hmm. undergrad. Mm-hmm. I remember how painful that was to, mm-hmm. fe- to feel like your foundation is shaken mm-hmm. and that your foundation is about to be pulled away from up under you, that you have nothing to stand on. Mm-hmm. And I know that when something comes that um, gives clarity to distorted vision it makes all the difference in the world yeah. yeah and i'm glad that god was able to use my struggle in undergrad to bring clear sight to other people mm. and so it's just like i couldn't have imagined right when i said in that new testament class i i went into college saying i was not i'm a pk and right. it, my parents are good parents, but I just church is such an all-consuming thing yeah. that I wasn't going to be in ministry. I was right. going off to become a stockbroker, <laughs> right. and this was the last thing. I didn't even know what apologetics was when I went into college, right? And so to see God take that struggle mm. that I remember crying in my car after class in the parking garage, saying, "God, I don't know what I believe," mm. and now to help give clarity encourages my heart because it's it shows that god is working all things out for our good and he's using things that Mm. i couldn't have imagined i still thought when i was crying in my car that i was going to be a stockbroker (laughs) i didn't know right he was going to use those painful moments to give me the empathy Mm. the compassion to be able to lead a generation to truth
3: yeah amen
1: what are some of the things that you're lamenting now
2: so i think i lament still our access as black women to capital for organizations uh-huh. i was in i was in a found a meeting with the major foundation the other day uh-huh. and the guy said to me i'm looking at your budget i don't even know how you were able to get all this done on such a limited budget
3: uh-huh.
2: he said you're doing You're dancing. You're going... You're circling the block doing way more than organizations that have 10 times what you have. Uh Uh And he said, it makes no sense that you're able to pull this off with these much limited resources.
3: Yeah.
2: And the hoops women like you and I have to jump through Uh just to get Uh a little bit a percentage Uh of what our white male counterparts get Uh is... It breaks my heart to see that I I saw organizations spent uh more than my whole budget on t-shirts mm. Mm. because mm. they have that much in abundance mm. and the, I lament that it's this difficult for us yeah for yeah. fundraising
3: yeah
1: and I and you know even you know like we we bring in less than our white male counterparts <laughs> white female counterparts <laughs> and black male counterparts you know mm-hmm. you know yeah. and and that's a real thing i was uh we're having some of those conversations now as a as an organization and um you know it is just like my prayer has oh I, I said god we we have to deal with so much like you know the pushback you know all of the things we're in such a tough conversation um i mean it's a firestorm in this conversation that we're in and i'm like um you know like i don't that that's such a burden in itself um i'm like god don't don't let us have to worry about finances you know (laughs) it's like let that be the least of our worries let us have um abundance to do the things you know that we want to do you know there's one we we want to do some uh, um a documentary on some of the 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 life transformation um of people who are leading uh be the bridge groups and having this conversation in their churches and stuff and i have a friend another one who's a a, a filmmaker <laughs> mm-hmm. and just like but it calls to do those mm-hmm. things and so but you know believe in god for the, at the right time, the next step, all of those things. And, um, so I, I I'm, I'm, i that with you, but you're doing good work and I know, um, God is, um, going to multiply the work that you're doing. And so I know the thing I was like, cause I was like trying to watch the video before and I was like, no, I want to invest in this, like, no, like invest in the um 12.99 of the video download the video um and make sure you guys don't those of you who are listening uh, with access to the video don't be sharing your code with nobody you know <laughs> let <laughs> uh, you know let make them pay for it um because this is what goes to support the work and so that more videos and um and stuff like this can be produced because it takes money, you know, and, uh, and those of you with resources and access, um, see how you can come alongside, um, organizations, um, that, um, so that we can continue this, um, this good work. Uh, what, what are some, um, some things that you are, um, hopeful for, um,
2: as it relates to your work? I'm hopeful about the next generation. Yeah. I think once they really catch on, uh-huh. they're going to turn the world upside down.
3: Yeah,
2: um, I remember a prominent speaker said one time he was in the room of, at a university. Uh-huh. It was about 3,000 in the room. And he said, look around. Everybody's looking around. He said it was the same amount on Pentecost. mm uh-huh. And they changed. They t- uh-huh. turned the world upside down. mm uh-huh. Uh And that same Holy Spirit power is available to us. Uh And so I think that Uh when people catch on to the Uh truth of the gospel, to biblical Christianity, Uh it provides a hope. This world is getting more and more dark, but Uh God has has called us to be light. And the Uh more dark it gets, the more we're going to be those lights Uh that people come to. They're looking for hope depression in gen z is higher than any other Mm. suicide rates are up people Mm -hmm. don't see any reason for living Mm. and it's not just about amenities because we're talking about wealthy kids yeah so if it was just in stuff then they wouldn't have any problems yeah but there is a hope that's needed beyond what this life what access what wealth can give Mm. and that hope is in the gospel yeah
1: That's so good. Well, thank you for the resources. We will list, um, you know, all the things. um, I know you have um, Courageous Conversations curriculum is out. Um, You have Courageous conversation conference is happening in um, September the 2nd through the 3rd in Washington, D.C. Courageous Conversations, Jude um, projects, Jude 3 projects, Gathering. Um, that pairs black voices trained in conservative and progressive spaces to discuss topics that are relevant for the church and, and culture. And I I love the fact that like, um, you know, like how you said you're transcending um, um, tribe. tribe. And I love that. And, you know, and, and people must allow you to do that because this is needed, you know, in all the different spaces. And, um, and because, uh, like people always talk about uh, in eternity uh there ain't gonna be no such thing as no um ame and all the different <laughs> things
2: that we keep
1: we keep seeing, seeing but um you know um our ethnic story does follow us there you know and so um um you have the unspoken documentary that is out now um if you go to unspokenmovie.com um and you know um then there's a up tell me a little bit about the upcoming uh, partnership with Axis.
2: So, yeah. So, um, one of the foundations we work with, uh, wanted some collaboration amongst their grantees uh-huh. and they put us together. I had never heard of access AX- but I told the uh, the foundation that we partner with, there's not curriculum. I feel like to help black Christians think about sexuality. Uh-huh. Um, for kids. So how to explain how parents can talk to their kids about uh-huh. sexuality, um, uh-huh. gender. Um, uh-huh. I haven't seen that for the black church. I know some white evangelical organizations have done that work. Uh-huh. And I thought it was important to create that. But also, um, one of the things we do is a why don't go series That went viral uh-huh. across social media where I sit down with young adults who left the faith. Uh-huh and oh, yeah. it's pa- parents reach out to me one, one parent in particular reached out to me I think she was in Chicago she was like hey I'll fly you to Chicago to talk to my daughter she's left <laughs> Christianity I'm like I can't make those kind of I can't say <laughs> that kind of precedent right. but, uh, but right. I, I realized that there, when when kids leave the church it really is very difficult it becomes very difficult for the parent child dynamic
3: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
2: parents don't know how to talk to their kids they mm-hmm. don't understand why they don't see church as beneficial, and we wanted to create a resource that helped them talk to their children, okay, in a way that will bridge the gap. Maybe they won't come back to church, but at least the relationship can function. Yes, yes. And so, Axis already does in white evangelical space. They curate conversations between mm-hmm. parents and children. Okay, um, and so they're well known in that, and so. Um, Partnering with them, I think, just the uh, seemed like a very helpful, um, a beneficial partnership on both ends. So we're looking mm-hmm. for the resources that we produce to come out in early 2023.
3: Okay.
1: Cool. Okay. I love it. Thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time. Thank you for all that you're doing um, in this space. And we are grateful. We are um, a better body because of it. You know, because of your work. And um, congratulations on the um, um just the release of this documentary. Okay.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So yes, so go to the donors
2: table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to BeTheBridge.com. Again, that's BeTheBridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer.
3: And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer.
0: Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.